Hi there, I'm Sue Alvis from the blog Stories of an Unschooling Family. Welcome to my podcast. This is episode 117. And today I'm going to be talking about a few things that have happened in the last few weeks. This is a catch up episode. I know I'm recording this on the wrong day. Usually I record my podcasts and publish them on a Monday. And it is actually a Thursday today. At the moment, we're on our long summer break. And sometimes it's difficult to decide what day it is. Yes, we're having lots and lots of lazy days doing exactly what we want. My husband, Andy, who is a school teacher, is on holiday. He has another week before he has to go back to school. And we're just enjoying our days together at home. Here we've been a few places, but mostly we've been getting up in the morning and just puttering around, doing what we feel like. So it's Thursday, but I had to really think about the day. What day of the week is it? I just suddenly felt like making a podcast. I was answering some comments on my blog and somebody mentioned my podcast and I thought, hey, I haven't made an episode for weeks. I said I was going to make one just before Christmas, and I never did. Life got busy, and I never got back to my microphone. But today, Andy has gone to school. Yes, he's doing some preparations for when he goes back to work. As I said, he has another week's holiday to go, and then he'll be back there with his students. While he's at school, which is about three quarters of an hour's drive away, I have some quiet time by myself and I thought, yes, I'm going to get my mic out. I'm going to make a podcast. Talk about all the things that have been happening around here. So I hope you find that interesting. I haven't really got a particular unschooling topic to talk about today, but I'm sure that I'll find lots to talk about anyway. So I thought we'd start with Christmas. I mean, Christmas might seem a long time ago for some people. Maybe you celebrated Christmas and then you had to go back to work and ordinary life just started again very quickly. But that's not the way it is for us. Our Christmas leads into the long summer holidays. And we're still in holiday mood. I guess also for us, Christmas is a season rather than a day or even 12 days. We celebrate Advent. And this year, Advent was so short, just three weeks. We really missed uh, that extra week. And we were hoping that we would get an extra week of Christmas instead. But it didn't happen that way either. Christmas seemed very short as well. We celebrated the Epiphany on one Sunday. And, and then the very next day, we were celebrating the feast of the baptism of our Lord. But yes, we extended our own Christmas a bit longer. We weren't ready to put away the decorations and take down the tree. So we only did that a few days ago. Now, some people say to us quite frequently, it must be strange having Christmas in summer. How can you celebrate Christmas when it is so hot? This always makes us smile. Because it's not strange for us to celebrate Christmas in summer. That's the way it always is. My kids have never celebrated Christmas in any other way. So we don't have snow and we're not all sitting inside around a big fire. But it does feel like Christmas. Christmas to us isn't sleigh bells jingling and 
and families coming in out of the cold with red noses and getting hot drinks and sitting by the fire and smiling and warming up and singing Christmas carols. No, that's not Christmas. So what is our Christmas? I was thinking about this because, of course, Christmas is just Christmas for us, but what are the elements of Christmas? What goes into our Christmas? What makes us feel Christmassy? Well, as I said, it is summer, so obviously as it's getting warmer, Christmas is getting closer. Just before Christmas, we go looking for pretty summer dresses to wear to Mass and to wear on Christmas Day. Some years, I buy the girls a special Christmas dress. We have fun going to the shops and looking around and choosing something that will make us all feel pretty and that we can also wear for the rest of the summer. Christmas for us is also music. We spend the whole of Advent practicing Christmas carols, getting ready for all the Christmas services. The biggest one of all is Midnight Mass. We don't actually play Christmas carols during Advent, but certainly we hear a lot of them because the girls are always singing. They have lots of choir practices to attend. There is no shortage of Christmas music. I wonder if you have Christmas carolers who come around to your house and stand on your doorstep and sing and hope that you'll give them some money. I've heard stories about people who do this, but I haven't actually experienced it myself. Nobody does do that here, well, not as far as I know, but people do busk at Christmas. The few weeks before Christmas, you'll see a lot of children down at the shopping centre with a hat on the ground or maybe their instrument case wide open and they'll play carols on their violins or their trumpets or they'll sing and they hope that you'll give them a few coins. My kids have done this many, many times, though not recently. I think maybe that is because we've been busy doing other things. Yes, Christmas is going down to the shopping centre and hearing carols played by children or teenagers or even adults. Sometimes the carols aren't played very well, but that doesn't really matter. It just gives you a lovely feeling as you're walking along and people are so very kind. I can remember all the people who stopped and listened to my children and threw a few coins into their hat and said a few encouraging words to them. We learned a few secrets of Christmas busking. It does help if you have some very cute little girls in the family. And if you dress them up in pretty white dresses and give them some bells, and if they're brave enough to shout out Merry Christmas every time someone comes along, you're sure to get more attention and the kids are sure to get more money. So we don't sit around a fire singing carols. But carols do float out our open windows and we hope that a cool breeze will blow back in. Christmas ornaments on the Christmas tree dancing in the breeze. I can always tell when Christmas is near because we have some agapanthus growing in our front garden, a whole heap of them. I think they are all purple ones and they flower at Christmas time. They're still flowering at the moment. They have a long blooming period. Yes, end of December and all over January. 
Christmas is also a time when we've got to get outside and mow the grass because it grows so fast. Just before Christmas Day, you can hear lots of lawnmowers going. Everybody's out trying to make their gardens look as good as possible for Christmas. A lot of people have outdoor celebrations over Christmas because of the nice weather. They invite friends and family over. They might eat their Christmas dinner outside, decorate a long table, gather lots of cheers, and enjoy the good weather as well as the food. We have neighbours who like to have parties in the evening, although we don't. We're not party-type people. One set of neighbours in particular does enjoy inviting friends and family round and then sitting outside and spending the evening singing and chatting and eating. And sometimes their conversations or their songs drift over the fence and through our open windows. Yes, the sound of Christmas. The other sound that we heard frequently over Christmas was the sound of fireworks. Now, fireworks are illegal here in our state of New South Wales, here in Australia. But that doesn't stop everybody. I'm sure they can be bought somewhere. And people do buy them and they do set them off. And then the fireworks upset all the neighbourhood dogs. And then all you can hear is dogs barking. Another thing that could be a feature of Christmas is bushfires. We've had a few Christmases where there has been a fire burning somewhere close to us and we have spent our days looking out at the horizon or checking the news reports, checking the weather, praying for rain. But fortunately, this Christmas, there wasn't a bushfire in sight. We actually had a very cool Christmas Day and Boxing Day and there was no danger at all that a bushfire would come roaring its way through the bush towards our home. And that was really nice. We could relax and not worry about it. We've had a really good bushfire season so far. Here we are halfway through summer and although there have been a lot of bushfires burning in our state, there have been none close to our home. And I'm very, very thankful about that. Yes, I do enjoy the warmer weather, being able to go outside without rugging up, being able to run before breakfast in the cool of the morning. But the one thing I don't enjoy about summer is the possibility of fire. So we had a busy lead up to Christmas. And then we went to Midnight Mass, which is always very exciting. Going out after a warm day into the deliciously cool air of the night. Celebrating in the dark, then coming home and going to bed and hoping that we're going to get some sleep before getting up early on Christmas morning to continue the Christmas celebrations. Well, I think we got a few hours sleep, but it wasn't really enough, but it didn't really matter because we got through the day on excitement. I think we can do that for a day or two before everybody collapses with exhaustion. Yes, we were too excited about what we were going to do on Christmas Day to worry about how we were feeling. We had a quiet Christmas. We stayed home for both Christmas Day and Boxing Day. And maybe that sounds pretty boring, but it suits us perfectly. We love time at home, doing our own thing, celebrating in our own way. Of course, we've already done all the community things. We've been out there, been to all the masses. We also went to a couple of parties. 
By the time Christmas morning rolled around, we were quite happy to stay at home and just have a quiet day. And so the quiet days have continued. As I said, we're enjoying lots of lazy summer days. And I guess this is why I haven't made any podcasts. I haven't felt in a working mood. Maybe I've been feeling a bit lazy. I love listening to podcasts, and all my favourite podcasters are already back at work. And I think this is really good, because I'm here wanting to listen. And then this morning, as I said, I suddenly thought, maybe I should make a podcast too. See if there's anybody out there that wants to listen, that wants to catch up with all the things that have been going on around here. So that's what I'm doing. might remember in my last podcast episode 116 I was talking about Evernote planners. I had been doing some experimenting and I discovered how to create some very attractive daily, weekly, monthly, yearly Evernote planners. I said that I might write a blog post or two and make some new videos. Well I actually got around to doing that over Christmas. I concentrated on making an Evernote monthly planner, though I do have a weekly one that I haven't yet shared. But by looking at the monthly planner, you can see how to make any other sort of planner. It's all quite simple. By adjusting the number of columns and rows, you can make any sort of planner that you want. And then you can have fun experimenting with colors and icons and fonts to make your planners look very individual. I wanted to buy a planner for my daughter Imogen. So I did some Googling to see what was available. And then one day Jim Rose and I, we went shopping together and we looked at every single planner in every single store that sells planners in our local town. And then we bought the very first planner that we had seen that afternoon. Isn't that always the way? You find something you like, but you don't buy it. You think, there might be something better. I better just keep on looking, explore a bit longer. And then you end up going back to the very first shop and buying the very first thing that you saw. But I guess we didn't waste our time. Our afternoon together could be regarded as research. Because I think that it is possible to take a lot of the features of paper planners and apply them to Evernote. Planners that have lots of colour and have inspirational quotes and pictures, that type of thing, they seem to be very popular at the moment. Yes, you can get some really beautiful planners. Planners have moved a long way in a short time. They're not boring anymore. Well, anyway, I've been making planners, and I shared how to make them on my blog and on YouTube. But now the question is, will I actually fill in a planner and write down all that I want to achieve this year? That's the challenge. I'm really good at coming up with new ideas and then working through them and seeing where they lead. And then when I've done all that, I lose interest. I want to move on to something else. want to learn something different. Go down a different pathway. I guess that's why I keep leaving my Evernote workshop series. I come back to it with a new idea, work on it for a while, and then I disappear again. But I love Evernote, and it it does keep drawing me back. 
As you might know, I've been thinking a lot about what I want to do this year. Should I continue my blog, my podcast? Should I head off and do something completely different? Well, I've thought about doing something in the real world, you know, with real people. But I don't know. That means going out there and being social. And I love creating virtual things with my computer. And so I do think that I want to continue blogging. And I was thinking about Evernote and blogging. Could I create a blog just for Evernote? Share all the things that I'm learning. Have a good time experimenting. Make some videos. Yes, it could be fun. I decided that yes, this is what I was going to do. So I spent a whole day going through possible blog names. What could I call a blog about Evernote? Something that was catchy, something original, something that might capture people's attention. Well, before I actually found a name that I was happy with, I lost interest in the idea altogether. I came to the conclusion that though I do love Evernote. It's a fantastic tool. What I like more than Evernote is how it can be applied to the things that I really feel passionate about, like unschooling. Evernote without unschooling isn't really that interesting to me. I need to associate it with something that I really love. I want to show people how Evernote can be used, for example, for unschooling. How Evernote can help us get. Through our homeschool registrations, how Evernote can help us plan our years better, so that we get more out of the days and the weeks and the months ahead of us. But I don't really want to share Evernote just for the sake of sharing Evernote. So, as I said, I lost interest in that idea. If I write any more posts about Evernote or make any more videos, you'll find them on my unschooling blog. So what will I do this year? Will I keep returning to the same topic? What should I be doing? Shall I give up blogging? Shall I give up podcasting? Should I keep on going? Will I go round and round in circles, trying to decide what to do, telling the same old story? Well, I imagine that's not very interesting. You hear the story once, and then you probably say, "Oh, look, Sue's saying the same old things," and you turn off. And you think, well, she'll probably turn up again in a few weeks, and I do. I always turn up, and maybe this is an indication of what I should be doing, because even though I have tried to leave my blog, even though I have announced that I'm moving on, my blog keeps drawing me back. There's something about it that I can't quite let go of, so I should probably stop telling you that I'm going to be an ex. Blogger and ex-podcaster, it's probably not going to happen. But what will I talk about? What will I write about in two thousand and eighteen? Because I know I can't keep writing about all the things that I have already written about many, many times. A lot of people say to me, Sue, I don't mind if you speak about the same things again, and maybe again and again. Because I need to hear them, or somebody might say, "I'm a new listener. I'm a new reader of your blog. I haven't heard all the stories. You can tell them again." The problem is, I need something new to speak about because I think my words are losing their passion. 
I've been there, I've done that, I've said it all before. And I'm just going down the same old road. And yeah, that's hard for me. I need something new. But that something new could still be associated with unschooling. Maybe that something new is writing and speaking about Christian unschooling. Yes, I've been thinking about sharing my faith a bit more. Now, at first, I didn't want to think about this. I have a wide audience. I like to write and speak about unschooling in a way that everybody can relate to. I don't like to exclude anybody. But if I write about Christian unschooling, some people might feel excluded. They might not be able to join in the conversations. Or maybe they feel they might not be able to. Because I don't think it's really true that when we do share things like our faith, that other people can't read the posts and can't ponder what we're saying and can't say things from their point of view. As an unschooler, I am very interested in all kinds of things. I'm especially interested in people. People don't have to be the same as me. In some ways, it's better if they're different. The conversations are wider and more exciting and they go places that we never dream of when differences are brought into the conversation, when we explore differences. When we are different, we have the opportunity to be accepting, non-judgmental, non-critical. We learn how to talk in a way that will include everybody. Maybe we have to share ourselves in a way that is interesting to other people, but doesn't get their backs up. Sort of not-in-your-face type sharing. We don't want to look like we are trying to make people believe what we believe. We don't want them to think that their point of view isn't a valid point of view. It might not be our point of view, but that's quite okay. Yes, there might be a lot of challenges about diving into the area of Christian unschooling. But I think I'm going to do it. Well, actually, I've already started. I've written several posts on my blog. And they've had some good reaction. People are stopping by, sharing their stories. And that's wonderful. And the thing I've noticed so far is that although a few other Catholic unschoolers have left comments, not everybody is Catholic. Not everybody is Christian. Yes, I feel really good about that. It's as if people feel accepted. They feel that they can be themselves, write down who they are and what they believe, and be part of the conversation. So that's what I'm doing at the moment. I'm exploring Christian unschooling. I could say I'm exploring Catholic unschooling because I'm a Catholic. And when I'm writing, of course, some elements of Catholicism inevitably are entering my posts, but I hope that's okay. I don't really think it matters. Christian, Catholic, non-Christian, perhaps we can all still share. Anyway, my passion seems to have returned. I want to write new stories, go down pathways that I haven't explored before. Who knows where we'll end up? Yes, Put God into the unschooling picture. 
and suddenly the picture gets huge. I think we have to be brave, though, when we're talking about things like Christian unschooling. Our faiths are very personal, and in today's world, not a lot of people talk about God. So I really do appreciate people who are willing to write comments and engage in the discussions. So what have I been writing about as far as Christian unschooling goes? Well, I wrote a post about how I became a Catholic. Oh my, that was something I didn't think that would ever happen. My husband Andy is what people call a cradle Catholic. Yes, born and bred a Catholic. And when he asked me to marry him, I said yes, but I did add, but I will never become a Catholic. I thought I should just tell him that straight up because he might have plans to drag me into the church. I'd seen it happen before. Some of his relatives had married non-Catholics and then a short time later they had all converted. But I knew that that wasn't going to happen to me. I didn't want to become a Catholic because I'd heard all the bad stories. You know the Catholic Church, it's just an institution that controls people's lives. It tells people what to do. Once you become a Catholic, you no longer have any freedom. You just have to do what you are told. Well, that's what I believed. I didn't want to come anywhere near it. And so for a long time, I stayed away. Andy and I had two children, Felicity, and 17 months later, we had Duncan. And one day, I was thinking about baptisms. Parents get their kids baptized. Now we had sort of passed over the problem with our first child, but now we had two children and our second child would soon be out of babyhood. Yes, he was growing fast. Should we get our children baptized? A lot of people get their children baptized. A lot of people who say they're not religious. Why do they do this? Is it an empty celebration? Is it something that people do? Like celebrating Christmas when really you don't have any religious convictions. Christmas might be a holiday for you. I'm not saying it's not good, but it doesn't have the same meaning as it does for Christians. And maybe baptisms for some people don't have any real meaning. It's just a thing that parents do for their children. It's just expected. You have a baby and then the next thing is you have a baptism. You invite all your family and friends and you have a day of celebration. What are you celebrating? Are you celebrating the birth of the baby or is it something more? Well, I didn't know. And I'm not the sort of person that would do things without understanding it first. I wasn't going to get our kids baptized just because it was expected. But that word, baptism, it kept going around and around my head. And one day I said to Andy, if we were to get our kids baptized, which church would you choose? And of course he said, the Catholic Church. And then I thought about the burden that I might place upon our children if I allowed them to be baptized in the Catholic Church. They would have to grow up believing what the Church believes having to fulfill all the obligations, having to live their lives by the rules. 
Did I want this for my children? So I decided that maybe baptism wasn't a good idea. So I put it on the back burner for a little while longer. But eventually I decided that maybe I ought to go out there, find out more about the church, find out more about baptism, see what it really is. Because it can't hurt to find out more, can it? Nobody can make us do anything. If I just got a bit of knowledge, then I could make an informed decision. Well, I guess that was my mistake. But anyway, I'll tell you what happened. I made an appointment to see a priest, the local parish priest. I felt very nervous, but I also felt very daring. I'd never ever spoken to a priest before. They were strange people as far as I was concerned. Yes, I was going to go to a church and talk to a priest. So I went. I told him what I wanted, why I was there. I want to find out more about the Catholic Church because we're thinking about baptizing our children. And then quickly I added a few more words. But then again, we might not. I wanted to make it perfectly clear to the priest that I was only looking for the facts. I could decide that baptism wasn't for my children. I didn't want him to think that the church was going to get my children. No, I just wanted to know more, make my own mind up about it. Well, the priest was wonderful. He wasn't strange. He was just a normal man, very kind, very friendly. And he didn't seem to notice that I was prickly and offensive. I am sure he did notice, but he was kind enough not to say anything, not to give me the impression that he thought that I was strange, because I probably was. Anyway, he gave me a book, an orange-covered book, a book that had been written for people like me, non-Catholics who wanted to find out more about the faith. And as I took the book, he said to me, if you have any questions, I will be happy to answer them. So I took the book home and I started reading. Oh my, didn't take very long. And I knew that I wanted to become a Catholic. Of course, there were a lot of obstacles I had to get over first. A lot of things that I couldn't understand. But on the whole, I could just feel God pointing me in this direction. I could feel the love, you know, it was flooding through me. I thought, yes. This is where I am meant to be. This is where I'm going to find the missing pieces of my life. I wanted our family to be part of the church family, to give our lives meaning so that we could love together and be bound up with God's love. We could have done that in any church, I'm sure. But there was something about the way this book was describing the Catholic faith that really spoke to my heart. So I went back to the priest and I asked him to baptize our children. And he did. And then a few months later, I went back a second time and I said, how do I become a Catholic? Yes, the impossible had happened. It's amazing what happens when we are willing to learn more to ponder with an open mind, and to go where we are led. Now, as I mentioned, I said that I thought it was impossible that I would ever become a Catholic. I think in the same way, a lot of people 
say they will never become unschoolers. They've heard all the negative stories, just like I heard all the negative stories about the Catholic Church. They make up their minds that it's not a good thing, that they are going to stay well away. They believe what people are telling them. But I wonder how many people who say they will never become unschoolers actually end up unschooling. Is there something that keeps them coming back? Do they feel that love that is at the center of an unschooling life? Are they attracted to this love? Eventually, do they want to find out more? Do they set out on an impossible adventure? And do they end up unschooling? One of my other Christian unschooling blog posts is about letting go of control. You know, this is really essential for unschooling, that we let go of our own ideas and we listen to our children. But also, we have to listen to God. I was writing about how life can suddenly change. We think that we are in control of our lives. And then, in a moment, everything changes. We find ourselves in a situation where we know that we can't survive with our own resources. There is nothing we can do about it. We have to turn to someone else. Well, I shared the story of when our son Thomas died, and that is exactly what happened to me. Yes, we were Catholic unschoolers. Yes. I had let go of a lot of things, but I was proud of the way I had arranged our lives. I still felt in control, and then Thomas died, and my life changed in a moment. I learned a lot about trust, a lot about what life is really about. I won't repeat the whole story, but I also mentioned in that blog post How my son Callum's dog died the other day. How unexpected it was. He has two dogs, Jesse and Eddie, and he left both dogs in his backyard and went off to 7pm mass on Saturday evening. And when he returned, Jesse was dead. It just happened out of the blue. I mean, Jesse was supposed to have lived for years. She was a puppy. She is actually the sister of our puppy, Quinn. Quinn is about seven, going on eight months old, really quite young still. We expect years and years of love from our puppy Quinn, years and years of enjoying her. But sadly, on Saturday evening, Callum lost Jessie. It was a big shock. Some people might be surprised to hear how much grief is involved with the dog's death. I have cried a lot this week. Yes, we didn't expect this to happen. Now, how did Jesse die? Well, Callum, as I said, was away from home. While he was away, a brown snake slithered into his backyard. I guess the dog and the snake attacked each other, and the snake bit the dog. The dog bit the snake a number of times, too. Both animals died. When Callum called his dogs for dinner on Saturday evening, only one dog came running. And Eddie, that was Eddie, the smaller dog. 
He was covered in a number of scratches. Uh, Callum was alarmed. He went outside. He found Jessie dead. He found the snake lying beside the dog. And so on Sunday morning, he had to dig a big puppy-sized grave, say goodbye to his friend. I've been thinking about that all week. I've been along different pathways of thought. Yes, about how life changes suddenly, how we can lose pets, how we can lose our children, how we have to do the right thing right now. We don't know what's ahead of us. It's no good saying, one day I'll do this with my kids, one day I'll do that, one day I will get the courage up to unschool. How do we know how many days we have? No, we have to live now, in the moment. The other thing I was thinking about was how fortunate Callum was. There was a story in the newspaper about the same time Jesse died. A man who lived quite close to where my son lives. He died also of a brown snake bite. His dog was attacked too. The man intervened. He tried to save his dog. And in the process, he got a bite on his finger. An hour later, he was dead. Yes, brown snakes are dangerous. They just slither into our gardens. And before we know it, they're there. And I was thinking about what would happen if a snake came into our garden, if our dogs attacked the snake, what would the kids do? Would they try to save our dogs? So we had to have a snake talk the other evening about how, even though it would be heartbreaking, we can't intervene. If a snake and a dog are attacking each other, all we can do is stand back and try and call our pets back, try and get them to come to us. We certainly can't get in there and get involved. It would be heartbreaking to lose a dog. It would be so much worse to lose a child. Yes, I've already been down that pathway. I know what that feels like. So I didn't lose a son, but he lost his dog. We don't know what's ahead. We have snakes as well. My daughter Charlotte, she was telling me how she saw a copperhead snake in the garden not so long ago, maybe a couple of weeks ago. Apparently she told me the story, but maybe I wasn't listening. I don't know. Anyway, I listened with new ears uh, a couple of days ago when she told the story again. Nora, our dog, was barking, and she's got a loud bark. And when she does that, and we think that she might be annoying the neighbours, we, we grab her and we bring her up to the house, and we put her in an enclosure near to the house, somewhere where she can wander around fairly big but she can't get out into the main garden and that's where she was and Charlotte was going to keep her there until she calmed down well Charlotte went back down the garden she was visiting the compost heap at the bottom of the garden and when she got there she almost tripped over a snake yes a copperhead snake so of course she abandoned the composting and she ran back up to the house realizing how lucky we were that the dog hadn't actually attacked the snake, that Charlotte hadn't actually stood on the snake, that we could let the snake slither off back into the bush. Yeah, a constant danger, snakes. So I don't know how long I've been talking for, probably forever. But quickly, some family news and then I will finish up. 
First of all, my daughter Sophie, who is 16, she works at a general store, cafe, um, post office, as you may know. She had to work all over Christmas. So I guess our lazy days have been starting early. Yes, we've been getting up early. Somebody has been driving Sophie to work for 7.30 in the mornings. The other people who are up like Jimarez and I, we've been going out for some beautiful summer runs before breakfast. Um, so our days have been starting early, but yes, after that, we've been able to come home and do what we like. So poor Sophie has been working, but I say poor Sophie, she enjoys her job. She's earning money, she's learning a lot of new skills, and she's also started studying for her Certificate 3. Uh, this is Retail Studies, learning all about retail businesses, how to run them, which will come in very handy when she sets up her photography and videography business. It will also give her a certificate in place of the higher school certificate, the one that all the school students do. Sophie's news, apart from working, I mean, working is taking up a lot of her time. In a way, I'm sad about this because her empty unschooling days are over. She used to have lots and lots of time to follow her passions. These days, most of her hours are spent working. I mean, that's good. She has a job that she enjoys. She's gaining skills that will be useful for the future. She's making friends. Yes, her life is good. But she's not doing as much videography and photography as she used to. But she has found time to film an ad for the General Star, which I mentioned in a previous podcast. Well, that ad is now showing in the local cinema. I think it's showing in two cinemas, one fairly local and one in a nearby city. We haven't actually seen the ad, but other people have, and they've been giving feedback and saying how good it is. And I think that Sophie's boss wants her to film another ad. So that's something for the future. But what she's going to be doing before then is filming the Passion Play at Easter. Every year on Good Friday at a local monastery, there is a Passion Play. For people who don't know what these are, people dress up and then act out the Passion. The last day or so of Jesus' life and his death. I think they start at the Last Supper and... They act out all the main events that lead to the crucifixion. We've been involved in the Passion Play in past years, dressing up as such people as the Wailing Women, our soldiers. I think Andy had the role of Peter one year. One of my daughters also played Mary. That was Felicity. Quite a few years ago, she was Mary. It's always a really big day. Thousands of people come to see the Passion Play. They're expecting about 10,000 people this Easter. Well, somebody has composed and recorded a religious song, and he thinks that if he had some film of the Passion Play, he could use it as the background for his music video, that the two would go together very well. So Sophie has been asked to film the Passion Play, or at least some scenes of it. And then she will edit it and put the music with it. And yes, there will be another music video, this time for somebody outside our family. So Imogen, that leads on to Imogen and her music videos. She hasn't actually made any since Christmas. But she's getting back into filming mode. 
she has been preparing a couple of songs. And we're going out on Saturday morning to film the first music video of 2018. If you would like to watch a teaser of the next two songs, you can find that on YouTube. Yesterday, Imogen posted just a little bit of each of the two songs that she's working on. Yeah, a teaser. She also posted a teaser of her fantasy novel. I don't know if you know that Imogen, besides being a singer, is also a writer. She has a Bachelor of Arts in Professional Writing and Publishing, and she has been using her skills to write a fantasy novel, I think aimed at teenagers, young adults. And her novel is just about finished. She's been working on it for years, but I think she's hoping to publish it in March. That's her goal. And yesterday, as I said, she posted a teaser of it on Instagram. She just read out a paragraph or two, I think, to give people a taste of what is to come. Yes, her upcoming fantasy novel. So if you'd like to follow along with Imogen's projects, you can find her on YouTube at Imogen Elvis. And you can find her on Instagram and Facebook under her own name as well. Yes, Imogen Elvis. I'm sure that she would love it if you subscribed, if you followed her. You would really encourage her if you did that. And if you wrote her an encouraging comment, yes, she would be very excited. Oh, the other thing that Imogen is doing, she's making weekly vlogs. These have been quite interesting. Every day, Monday to Friday, she has been recording a little bit of her day. She has been adding graphics and a few special effects, trying to make them look good and trying to find interesting things to talk about and to show people. Sometimes other members of the family get into her vlogs. She sometimes shares family news. Um, you can find those on YouTube if you're interested in getting a glimpse of what she's doing. I was thinking about vlogs. I've done a bit of vlogging myself. And I was wondering whether I would like the challenge of putting together a weekly vlog of my own. Yes, recording just a few minutes here and there over the course of a week and then editing it together in an attractive way to make a video to put up on YouTube. Well, that's an idea that I will continue thinking about. I think I've got to the end of all that I want to share with you today. I have really enjoyed sitting here chatting to you. I hope that you are out there listening, that you haven't given up on me again. You're probably used to me by now. If you would like to come over to my blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family, and comment on anything that I have said today, please do. Please come over and read my Christian Unschooling blog posts. Maybe have a look at my Evernote videos, the step-by-step -step instructions in the Evernote blog posts. If you would just like to stop by and say a simple hello, I would love to hear from you. It's always good to make contact with people who are reading my posts or listening to these podcasts. So you can find me at my blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family. And my YouTube channel is called Sue Elvis. So all I've got left to do is to thank you for listening today. I hope you are well and happy and are enjoying some wonderful unschooling adventures. And until next time, don't forget to trust 
respect and love unconditionally.